Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, guitarist Monette Sudler. Well, you know, my mother was an inspiration, actually, because uh, she did not want me to play the guitar. <laughs> she thought that I would be a rock and roller, and I had to convince her that it was a very diverse instrument. I mean, you can do so many things on the guitar. It's so... Uh, Joe Beam uh, was on television one night, and I said, come, come, come and listen to this man. And, uh, and she's like, okay. So she came around, finally. Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. Here we have conversations with artists, writers, and musicians about their lives and work. We can be found along with past episodes at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher under Fun to Know Podcast, always with the numeral two. You can find photos and more about our guests on the Fun to Know Podcast pages on Facebook and at Twitter, and would be delighted if you'd take a minute to leave a review of the show at iTunes, or just send me a note with your thoughts through Facebook. Thanks again for listening. A quick announcement before today's show. My film appreciation classes at Fleischer Arts Memorial in South Philly continue, tying in with the Philadelphia Museum of Art's 60s Invasion exhibition in early July. We'll be taking a look at the 50-year anniversary of one of the most fascinating 12 months in cinema history with a class titled The Revolutionary Cinema of 1968. Films both about revolution and revolutionary themselves, our screenings will include Lindsay Anderson's If, with the debut of Malcolm McDowell, George Romero's Timeless Night of the Living Dead, John Cassavetti's Bracing Faces, and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, all digitally projected in Fleischer's beautiful sanctuary space. All the classes I've led over the last couple years have led to fascinating conversations afterwards. To find out how to enroll, go to Fleischer.org. And on to today's show with guitarist Monette Sudler. It's less than a week after Ken Queter's latest episode. Again, Ken's appearance is a big draw for fun to know. If you haven't checked his episode out, let me give you some extra encouragement. But I rushed to post this show early to give at least a few days pre-promotion to Monette Sudler's ninth annual Guitar Summit where Monette's Top Flight group will feature past Fun to Know guest violinist Diane Monroe and keyboardist Doug Karn, remembered for a series of gorgeous records made with his then-wife vocalist Jean Karn for the Black Jazz label back in the 1970s, records that are still pricey collectibles today. Also on the bill, another previous and future guest of the show, Jamaluddin Takuma, brings his young group The New Truth out for a performance. It's all taking place at the World Cafe in Philadelphia on Saturday afternoon, May 12th in 2018. We'll tell you more near the end of the interview. Now back to Monette. Early on in the show's history, I had Monette on the short list of filiary musicians I wanted to sit down with. I'd long been a fan of the trio of records she recorded for the prestigious Steeplechase label in the mid-70s that continues today to release important records for artists who have gone slept upon back here in the States Artists including Archie Shep, Chet Baker, Jackie McLean, Dexter Gordon, Anthony Braxton, Andrew Hill, and more. Monette was spotted at the Newport Jazz Festival playing in Sam Rivers' band by people at the label, who would go on to produce a trio of Monette records starting with 1976's Time for a Change, then Live in Europe and Brighter Days for You. Miss Sudler has continued to record regularly, 
playing over the years with the late drum great Sonny Murray, Kenny Barron, Dave Holland, and many more, and she has a plethora of awards she's collected over her active career. Monette talks about her beginnings in Germantown, her collaborations with vibraphonist Khan Jamal, her teaching and poetry, and at the end, she talks candidly about some personal and physical obstacles she's faced along the way, including her experiences at Muncie State Penitentiary. It makes one of the more moving conversations I've captured here at Fun to Know, and I want to thank Monette for sharing her story. Let's head over now. We'll start talking right after this cut from her debut, made at the age of 24, featuring Rufus Harley's old pianist Oliver Collins on the Suddler original Malik Yumi Din, the owner of The Last Day. (音楽) ¶¶ 
Monette Sutler, the well-known, uh, semi-legendary uh, musician in the Philadelphia area and beyond here. Uh, she has recorded and performed for over 40 years, uh, a number of releases over the years, and she's an educator and uh, an inspiration to uh, everybody who sees her perform and knows her. Uh, g- g- hello, Monette. Thanks for coming out today and talking in the uh, kitchen table studios of the Fun to Know podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. It's nice to be here. <laughs> oh, I've been wanting to have you on for so long. It's it's funny. I uh, uh, listen to records, you know, so uh, obsessively, like a lot of uh, music fans and, and and fans of jazz. And uh, you get to feel like you really know somebody when you listen to their music enough. And okay. uh, it's exciting to have you here uh, in person to talk about uh, uh, your life and and the, and the things you've seen and done. You are really a Philadelphia born and raised talent, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, where, where did you uh, grow up in the in the city here? Well, let's see. Uh, I grew up in North Philly, Nice Town, and Germantown. Ah, yeah. yeah. Germantown was a, kind of a, a hotbed for music and musicians, from what I understand. Yeah, and in fact, uh, I moved from Germantown. Now I'm, I'm back in Germantown now. So, uh, did you come from a musical family? Or? I would say yes. My mother played uh, piano and and sang uh, church music, classical church music. And my uncle Nathan, my great uncle Nathan, he was my grandfather's brother, younger brother. He plays, he played piano, he played by ear, but he, uh, I mean, he was awesome. And uh, he played jazz music for the most part. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you grew up hearing that pretty at a per- pretty early age. Huh? Yes. Um, he, he would come over, and I'd I'd sit on the floor and just like be, you know mesmerized <laughs> what sort of stuff did he play uh he played you know mostly uh, uh standard songs and because uh, he would do piano bars and, and things like that yeah so that style oh that's great when did you first uh, pick up an instrument i was eight my mother uh, had me play piano yeah yeah so i took lessons on piano i started at eight who did you take lessons with uh, my first teacher, his name was Mr. Lewis, uh-huh. and then uh, later on I, I studied with uh, Mary Wiley, who was my neighbor, 
and she was also a singer. She did like background work for Bobby Rydell and stuff yeah. like that, you know. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so she was she was a very interesting lady. And yeah. she still is. She's ninety or I think she's ninety four now. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine she's very proud to be uh, one of your teachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's uh she, she's a wonderful lady. Yeah. I've always heard that the the learning the piano is a great first instrument because it's an instrument that really sort of lays out the musical uh you know uh, notes in front of you in a very orderly way and uh, you know it's great for composers to sort of understand the, the structures of music Did you, is it is uh, but I was very rebellious and uh, I wanted to play the, the guitar really yeah who, who was playing guitar that attracted you to a guitar uh, no one up close I mean my, my stepfather had a couple buddies that would come over and they would, you know, drink their beer and, and they'd play the guitar. And I kind of was like, I love that. And yeah. uh, they wouldn't teach me, though. They said they didn't feel like they would could teach me how to play. Huh. I, uh, the guitar, too, really seems like to adopt a guitar, you really... It's a it's something you can put on a show all by yourself. You know, you can uh, sing and and do songs on the guitar. If you're if you're playing a horn or something like that, you're thinking about being part of a band. But uh, it seems like the the guitar really allows a, a performer to be in the spotlight. Really, it, it does, and uh, it's portable. <laughs> <laughs> well, nowadays there are pianos, though. <laughs> Were you into the, the sort of folk music that was played on guitar at the time, or? Yeah, my, my first teacher was, that's what uh, she played, so that's what I learned. Uh, I went down to the uh, Wharton Center, it was called, at 22nd and Columbia Avenue. Uh, they call it, what is it, Cecil B. Moore now. So yeah, I, I took lessons there, because that was like the Community Arts Center. My aunt worked there, she was a secretary there. So she she arranged the lessons for me. And I saw I used to get the bus and go there. Yeah. Wow. Who did, you, who did you have in your mind as sort of being a, a role model at that time? Were you listening to any performers that were guitar players? or? Well, I think at that time, uh, maybe Wes Montgomery. But uh, my mother had uh, some recordings, and they were all Nat King Cole recordings. So. Whoever was on the Nat King Cole recording. It would be Mr. Oscar Moore. Yeah. He was the guitar player, wonderful guitar player with the trio. Right, right. So, you know, that probably probably was the first. Yeah, yeah. I've heard you mention Wes Montgomery before. You you, you, uh, often talk about him as an inspiration. I didn't try to emulate him at all, but but I found his style of uh, like a call and response type style that he had was... You know, it was great. It was just very melodic and uh, structured his solos just so perfectly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. I do sort of put him, uh, I, I do sort of imagine him with Nat Cole in a way that uh, uh, that their touch was just so uh, warm and, and engaging that, yes. that uh, the pop world really called out for him. There was something so accessible and direct about both their playing. That, exactly. Yeah, 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 amazing musician. Um, so, so where did you first perform at? Where did you, uh, you take this guitar skill? You, you started to work up. Well, it was at the community center. Yeah. yeah. So, th- my mother and I did a duet together. We played. Au- I played Autumn Leaves, 
and and uh, we we sang a, a duet. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of cool. <laughs> um, who else was was uh, was performing around this this time in the in the in the neighborhood? And uh, who who did you come up with with players? I imagine there's probably people that you played with back in that day that you would play with years later as well. Well, uh, when I got was a little older, I started working at the the Y in the, on Chestnut Street. And one of the, my co-workers, his name was Bernard, he said, my friend plays vibes and you guys should meet. And so I'm like, okay. So he uh, he gave me uh, his friend's number and it turned out to be Khan, Khan mm-hmm. Jamal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I called him and, and so he said, hey, well, I'll come over and, and we can jam. And I said, Okay, you're going to bring your vibes over here? And he said, yeah, I'll bring my vibes. I'm like, all right. Around what year would this be, do you think? Oh, man. This is early 70s. Okay, sure. No, yeah. And so he came over with uh, Omar Hill, the conga player. And we jammed, you know, and did some playing. And had a good, I mean, you know. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Khan Jamal, uh, major figure to, to discuss uh, I, I've, he's had a spot on my radio show for years I, I love his his work and uh, I always think of you on one of uh, my very favorite recordings of all time as a Kanjamal uh, group called uh, Drum Dance to the Motherland, Motherland which right. was recorded in, in West Philly I believe Lola Falana's brother was involved in this recording yes, as he well was. Yeah, ele- yeah. electronics and uh, uh, was this, you know, was this around the time when you two sort of came together there? How did you, how did you make the transition from jamming to making this masterful record? Well, that, that was a few few years uh, later, but uh, it, but it started there, and then we started rehearsing in Khan's garage and added some more people, and and then we recorded uh, Sounds of Liberation album that was the first one yeah which has been reissued in recent years from porter records exactly um a real dynamite slab of vinyl or whatever (laughs) whatever format you're listening to it on i have to admit i like the reissue just personally because you know at that time you couldn't do a lot of eqing with things so you got to clean up the recording a little bit yeah the reissue has some clean the guitar a little Yeah. 
Byard Lancaster also uh, on those recordings as well. Yes, Byard, uh, he came and joined the group uh, at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of Byard when you first met Byard? Uh, well, he was allowed to digest, for, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, he's a very dynamic uh, individual. So, And his playing, I mean, it, it added a, a nice edge to the group, and, you know. Yeah, I I recently uh, was looking at a reissue. I'm not going to remember the name of a of a of a Washington D.C. record that was made in the early '70s, mm-hmm. and Byard was brought in to record on this record. I should remember the name. Uh, but one of the things that it was noted in the liner notes, they said these Philadelphia guys were really serious. Byard would do push-ups between between uh, takes in order to keep his energy up. Okay. <laughs> 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 But yeah, he's another figure of, of uh, sort of legend around town for uh, for uh, his incredible career and uh, oh, incredible yeah. human being. Is his uh, conflict with Septa to be a, a street musician in there? Yeah, and, you know, yeah. It's very political. Yeah, well, I mean, those were heady times. This is the uh, early to mid '70s, and in Philadelphia, Philadelphia is uh, 
alive with the the sound of Philadelphia, Philadelphia International Records. Right. What what were your memories of the of the early seventies as a musician here in town? Well, you know, uh, everybody was uh, kind of putting together groups, and uh, you had, like you said, the R and B thing that was really blossoming at that time, and and then the the individual groups, everybody was doing kind of like a Pharaoh Saunders modal type thing was happening. With uh, it was a good time, you know. They had it, it a seems, lot of uh, festivals and. It seems like a time of optimism, music. you know. Yeah. Looking back at it, yeah, yeah. Just, you know about the music, and then in in New York when they started the loft scene, it was, you know, it was a time when musicians said, "Okay, we're gonna." take control of of our music and so we're going to have our own venues and and put on our own concerts and and things like that and so you know those type of things were going on as well so that musicians weren't really depending on playing in the bars and the clubs and and things like that yeah and and taking charge of the economics of the whole thing exactly you know the legendary stories of 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 musicians being you know ripped off by the music industry and stuff Mm -hmm. it it seemed like a a wise move uh, at the time you were so the 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 new york loft scene i know a lot of uh of of philadelphia players uh play there's a very famous uh, collection uh, was originally five LPs and now I think it's a three CD set called Wildflowers yes, which yes. was recorded over I think a single weekend at, at the River B loft that Sam Rivers and his wife right. uh, had and Sonny Murray's on there, Bayard Lancaster's on there and mm-hmm. uh, you were part of that whole scene that was going up there though as well right? Yeah I was. Uh, that That is has it's interesting in recent years that that, uh, that whole scene there's been a real romance that has developed Mm-hmm. Uh, around it and, and uh, I'm, I'm curious you know uh, as somebody who was there about about your experiences there well you know I, I found it to be an exciting time you know because uh, the music was just so intense all the time you know uh, with the avant-garde and the energy from all the musicians you know was was, was just always on a high level so I just didn't. I enjoyed that very much, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you go up there sometimes and and you, you play and then and then you just okay. Well, I need a break, but you just I just laid on the floor and and went to sleep in the chaos and got up and started <laughs> playing again. <laughs> you know. So, You're always so recognizable in, in in those pictures from the era because you always have those, those the, the ponytails the or pigtails, yeah, braids. Yeah. yeah, something I, I guess we'll get to at some point. But but uh, there there wasn't a lot of women musicians in, in that scene as you were uh, that I know of at least. That you know that uh, it was a it was your you know what what was the specifics of your experience as a woman? Do you think to be part in this you know heavyweight male sort of scene? Um. Uh, what was it? I, I don't know. I didn't think about it. There was there was nothing major. Uh, I mean, you felt you were respected and and uh, yeah, everybody yeah. respected me. I didn't I, I didn't have any problems like that. Yeah. Um, and then the guys that, that I was working with, they were very protective. Yeah. You know, they kind of looked out for me. Uh-huh. So as well. So um, in recent years, you've done some some uh, 
uh, you, Diva, I'm trying to think of the name of the, the series that you've done with uh, all women players, Ladies Night Out. Yeah, Ladies Night Out. And then uh, Kim Clark has a festival called uh, Lady Got Chops in New York. So yeah. I've been doing that for the past couple of years as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, teaching Agnes Varda's work recently, the uh, the filmmaker, and, and she didn't like to discuss, uh, you know, she didn't want to be a representative of, of women in uh-huh. film. She said, well, you know, making the kind of films I do is hard for everybody. I don't really need to <laughs> single this out as being hard for me as a woman. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's kind of the attitude you have uh, in, the, in the music? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I found that a lot of, Bands that didn't want to hire a woman because they say a woman causes trouble, you know, creates problems in a, in a group and things like that. And so uh, it forced me to to create my own situations, and and I'm still doing that to this day, creating my own situations, and uh, and so that's worked for me. I mean, it's kept me working. Uh, maybe not on the level that I would like to be working, but but I, I but I'm happy. <laughs> no. So in, in the in the seventies era, when you were uh, playing at the, at, the, at the you know up in New York and, and things, you also started recording. Uh, I think the first recording I know from you was uh, for the Steeplechase label. I think it's, it's time for change. Is that time the name for change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Around seventy six, I believe. Exactly. Right. How did how did you end up you know getting discovered by this uh, European record label? I was working with uh, uh, Byron had turned me on to Sam Rivers. He needed a guitar player. So I, I would travel up to New York and, and rehearse with his big band. And uh, we did the Newport Festival in New York. And so after I did the Newport Festival with Sam Rivers, then I got the offer to uh, to meet with the Danish label. And, uh, you know, I took my music up there. and And so they offered me a deal. Yeah. That's wonderful. That was wonderful. Yeah, you recorded, uh, I believe, three albums with them over the years. I did, yeah. Yeah, and with a lot of Philadelphia players, I believe, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How long has it been since you've gone back and listened to those those records? Well, uh, let me see. Maybe a month or two ago. <laughs> yeah. You still, still throw them on? They still sound good to you? It, yeah, I was amazed. It's <laughs> like, wow, that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Has, you, has your has your style changed a lot? Do you think over the years? I mean, with, uh, it has changed. Yeah, yeah, I think it has. Uh, yeah, it's different. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you where do you feel the the, the change? Well, I think at, at that time I wasn't. I spent a lot of time trying to be conventional. You know, and and in retrospect. I'm like, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have done that. But <laughs> <laughs> but in, in Philadelphia, and, and Gerald Veasley talks about this as well, um, They they uh, all the older musicians, you know, would say, oh, she's not really a jazz player. She, you know, she's not really, she, you know. And, and they would talk about you, you know, disparaging me, you know, and... I hated that. <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
And then, you know, and then the other part of it was that I um, I wanted to work. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, uh, you know, with the avant-garde, like Sonny Murray didn't work a lot. You know what I'm saying? After the Loft series and, and, and different uh, eras passed, you know? Yeah, a lot of those people decamped for, for Europe where there was, you know, yeah, a little more exactly. work to be done. Yeah, Yeah, and that's what, where Sonny went yeah. as well, so... Um, so, you know, with all those factors in mind, you know, my playing did change somewhat. Mm-hmm. But now, um, I think it's really at, at a sweet spot where I can tap into all of those things and then uh, be even more creative. Yeah, and it all comes comes out sounding like you. Exactly, you yeah. know, I, and I love that, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
at some point in your career, you've, you seem like you got very serious about education. Uh, it seems, I guess that's another, another place that a musician can, you know, make a living uh, these days, you know, doing the kind of music you do and everything. Mm-hmm. When, when did you first start uh, teaching seriously? Well, let's see. Um, I don't really remember exactly, <laughs> but uh, I've been teaching for, I don't know, a good 20 years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Is it mainly younger uh, people that you're teaching? or? Well, I've had uh, students of all ages. I, I spent about 12 years teaching a class of senior citizens. Really? Yeah. Um, and that became like a little family. It was, it was kind of cool. I still stay in contact with them. Wow. Yeah. At a senior center where you do you doing work? Or? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yes. Wow. And then, um, and I worked with children, and I worked with the Art Sanctuary for, I don't know, maybe 15 years. Yeah. Um, I used to, to write composed music for all their annual plays and things like that, and, and work with the kids. Yeah. Um, how, do you find the, how do you find the kids uh, uh, as students? Well, it depends, you know. Some of them are like really really into the music and and they just eat it up you know and it's just delicious for them <laughs> and and I'm so happy you know it's like cooking a good meal and watching somebody eat it and, <laughs> and you're like yay <laughs> um and then there's the the ones that um, you know are struggling Maybe they don't want to do it as much, yeah. you know, and uh, so I always find that to be a challenge. Yeah, it's hard to know as a teacher how much, you know, care to lavish over, you know, the kids that are doing really well and the kids that are struggling and, right, you know, your, right. your, your, your uh, attention's divided a bit. Yeah. Also, in your... Uh, and your holster of uh, of uh, entertaining weapons is uh, poetry as well. You uh, have uh, <laughs> yeah. done a, a fair amount of poetry in performance and uh, on uh, on recordings as well. When did you first start writing poetry? Uh, well, I, I would say actually, um, since I was I don't know a, a teenager, because I was always a lyricist. So, which is really poetry when you think about it. And then um, when I, I went to uh, Muncie State Prison and and I started writing poetry really about my children and my home life and that kind of connected me to to them, because you know, because I miss them. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about your your time at Muncie? Uh, um, yeah. Well, let me finish the poetry part first. Please do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then this is fresh in my mind because um, a therapist that I had spoken to before I I went. Uh, I started writing her letters, so she contacted me recently and said, "Hey, I have these letters, and and they're pretty 
good letters and I thought maybe you would want them back so she she mailed them back to me and then we met and talked and everything but um but in there was a couple of poems I had written and and then I even tried to uh I applied and I tried I did I applied for a pew grant <laughs> with at the same time <laughs> you know my mind was just like always working and um and I laughed about that uh when I think about it <laughs> but anyway but the, yeah I would say that's when I really started thinking about it seriously and then since I've been home I my best friend is a poet and, and Sonia and, Sanchez uh, uh, Peter Mason but, Mason, but okay. Sonia Sanchez is a good friend as well yeah and um and and Yolanda Wisher so I'm around these three masterful poets and and so they inspire me all the time yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I, I lived in San Francisco in the '90s and hosted poetry readings, really? and uh, that was sort of the circle I moved about okay. then. And it was a, a, a wonderful social life to sort of you know spend evenings uh, huddled up with a bunch of poets reading each other's other's work. And yeah, everything. it's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, the recordings you've recorded uh, since Staple Chase, I, I have to admit, I'm a little less familiar with. But I, I was going through what I could find of the. The discography recently, and uh, they're they're uh, beautiful, uh, wide-ranging, you know, really full records uh, that you've made since that that, that adopt a, uh, a lot of different styles, and uh, you know, they cover a lot of musical ground. Yeah, I'm eclectic. I uh, to a fault. Well, it's not to a fault in my mind, no, but. No. In the record what company's pe- mind. What, what, <laughs> what peacock has too many colors? You know? Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm just. Uh, but record companies had problems because they didn't know how to market me. Like, is she a singer? Is she a guitar player? What style of music? You know. So it was, it was always a. They were always in a quandary. Yeah. But, uh, but you've continued to release records, though. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, it was only recently, uh, doing research, I realized that you had a pretty major health uh, scare, I guess about uh, five or six years ago now, uh, with, uh, with the lung problems that you, you've suffered from. Right. I, um, I had IPF, which is uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And it's when your lungs uh, start hardening. And so I, I just noticed that, you know, my body felt different. And, and I, uh, my friend who is a uh, pulmonary therapist, she said, you should go and get checked out. So I did, and they found something, and they sent me to Temple. And so for for quite a few years, I, I was fine. I didn't need oxygen or anything, but you know, gradually I needed the oxygen. And right before I had the transplant, I, I was up to nine liters, you know, because um, I, I tried to disguise it in all kind of ways. I had a pair of glasses where the can, cannula went into the nose, so you didn't really see it. Oh my goodness! And uh, yeah. I tried to disguise it, but anyway, I kept working, and 
and then they they gave a benefit for me uh, uh my my friend Trapita and uh and the jazz bridge and denise spalding um and Steve Green and Veronica Underwood and you know the the place was packed and they just kind of had everybody quiet in the club and then they prayed Veronica pr- prayed you know and two weeks later after that I got a call saying they had lungs for me and to get to the hospital wow. so um it was a blessing, you know. And, and it was a dual lung transplant. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. A My goodness. Yeah, was that a, a tough recovery to come back from? You know, it was. I was home, and they sent me home in six days. Huh. Yeah, it was amazing. And uh, the first time I realized that I I wasn't that I was breathing on my own was wow. Yeah. It was, I, I really cried, you know. Yeah. 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 And you've been a real a ball of energy since, it seems, as well. Uh, looking, you know, just over the, the things you've accomplished in the last, you know, 10 years, there's been a lot of a lot of work done, a lot of different shows, a lot of, uh, you know, different promotions, and uh, it's uh, it's been a, a, a great period for you. Yeah, gotta keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> you've uh, annually done these Guitar Summit shows. Yes, Can you yes. talk about the inspiration for, for those? Well, you know, my mother was the inspiration, actually, because uh, she did not want me to play the guitar. <laughs> she thought that I would be a rock and roller, and I had to convince her that uh, it was a very diverse instrument. I mean, you can do so many things on the guitar. It's Segovia. It's, it's incredible, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Joe Beam uh, was on television one night, and I said, "Come, come, come, and listen to this man." And uh, and so she's like, "Okay." So she came around finally. But so when I do the guitar summit, I, I try to show some diversity in styles of music or in just the string instruments uh, family. And you've had core players there. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who are some of the players you've had over the years that have that have come out to uh, play at these guitar summits? Oh my God. Um, let's see. She put me on the spot. Oh, I need my list. <laughs> um, but Pat Martino's. He's been there twice. Pat, Mar- Pat Martino, you know, out of Philadelphia as well. Yeah, Was he yeah. an inspiration when you were were coming up? Oh yeah, I remember going to see him and. He was just burning his, burning, you know, playing up a storm. Yeah, yeah. He had uh, some of those uh, uh, same players, uh, I think, from Catalyst in his band early on as well. I yeah, think, yeah. you know, uh, was it Tyrone Brown maybe? And uh, I'm, Yeah, I'm sure it was. Tyrone yeah. Brown, Sherman Ferguson. Yeah, yeah Sherman Ferguson. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Gerald Vizzi's been there. I had a bass off. Uh, one year, so with Gerald Vizzi, Cedric Napoleon, and um, what's that guy's name? Bakidi Kamau, who plays with Paul Simon. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I loved him. And Lionel uh, Lueke sure. with his trio. I had him there. 
um, yeah, some, some great people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you caught up a, a favorite guitar player who's sort of uh, causing a lot of buzz in the scene recently? Mary Halverson? I don't know if you've caught up with her. Uh, I don't know her. You don't know her. Uh, She's played with Jamal Adine and that group, the Young Philadelphians, even though I don't think she's from Philadelphia. Okay. And uh, she's... I, she's I might have met her at at the uh, his Insiders Festival. Yeah, yeah maybe. Maybe the first one he had. Glasses and kind of long blonde hair, young woman. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I think of young guitar players, she's been a real sort of dominant uh, okay. figure. I had, I think I might have asked her for her card. <laughs> and and then I don't know what I did with it. I was looking for it because, yeah, I had um, um, Cheryl uh, Cheryl Bailey. Yeah, yeah, she did the festival. She's uh, she's great. Yeah, yeah. and you have, well. you have another one coming up, I believe, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. May twelfth. May twelfth. I have uh, the card in front of me here. The ninth annual. Guitar Summit happening Saturday, May 12th from 2 to 4 at the World Cafe. That's right. In town here at Philadelphia, uh, the Monette Sudler Sextet featuring Doug Karn. Doug Karn, the wow. one only, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I still uh, play his records a lot with, with the old ones with Gene Karn as well. Oh, no. Ah, wonderful stuff. And uh, Jamaladine Takuma and the New Truth featuring master guitarist Sonny Troy. Also yeah. going to be on the bill as well. Sonny Troy is, oh my God, he's just, he's a classic traditional jazz guitarist. I mean, yeah. in the classic sense of the word. Who do you consider as part of the classic uh, classic style? Uh, I don't know, like a Joe Pass kind of yeah. style. Or, yeah. or Kenny Burrell, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard you mention Grant Green. No, uh, oh, well, we I, actually I did a tribute to Grant Green at, on the festival um, with Charlie LB and um, Avi Rothbard, Tom Jacobetti who's passed, uh, and Matt Davis. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, and myself. So we did an ensemble of, of Grant Green's music. Yeah, was was, he, he's somebody. Fun. His music touched you as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 He, he also uh, t- t- shares a certain sort of single note soloing style that I. He does, and and uh, and it seems so simplistic, but when you when you try to execute it, it's not as simple <laughs> as you as you think. <laughs> if it was that simple, there'd be a lot of people who it could sound like Greg Green. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, it was fun. So, what it, what does the uh, the future hold for you these these days? What what are you looking forward to? You have the guitar summit coming up. I have the guitar summit, and um, and then I'm doing. I I released uh, just as download uh, live in Japan oh, uh, CD. Yeah, you were you played live in Japan, I guess, huh? I have actually. <laughs> <laughs> how, 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 when was the first time you went to Japan? Uh, when was that? Uh, it's the early two thousands. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do How do you find Japanese audiences? They are very, uh, very attentive. You know, they love guitar guitar music that's yeah. that's a thing really so what, what was what was your experience playing over there where did you you play in tokyo did you play the, the blue note club i hear a lot of talk about that or? i did actually yeah. yeah 
it's a it's a very nice club. I, I love it there. You know. Somebody said best sound they've ever had was in the Blue Note Club yeah, in Japan. It was good. It definitely was good. <laughs> um, yeah, I found the Japanese people to be very orderly uh, and efficient. Um, and if they love your music, they they show it. You know, they they just. They like to have fun, yeah. You know, and and they like to uh, to imitate um, American music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where did you play? Where did you record this live in Japan? Release it. Uh, it was a combination of uh, several different uh, venues, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was with Barry Sames, and I had gone over the pianist Barry Sames. Uh-huh. It was a Japanese soul chorus that we were playing with, so we did some gigs with them, and then we did some solo gigs um, as a as a duo or as a quartet. Uh huh. You said with the Jap- Japanese musicians. Soul chorus, you said. Japanese soul chorus, yeah. Uh, a friend of ours, Nathan Ingram, he was living in in Japan, and uh, so he had uh, developed a chorus. You know, in like different cities mm-hmm. in Japan, and called the Japanese Soul Chorus. And they sang vocal accompaniment to they music s- you're playing. They 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 did their own arrangements uh-huh. of uh, a popular songs. Yeah. Oh wow, interesting. It was kind of cool. So where can this uh, this uh, this this music be downloaded at? Uh, cdbaby.com yeah do you, you have other work there as well I believe I right? do yeah yeah oh, that's wonderful yeah
I didn't know whether you did want to touch on the, you know your situation in Muncie or to that. sure yeah I don't I don't know where to start uh, I know that you uh, uh, had a, an accident and and uh, it ended up with you uh, being incarcerated for a period of time in the in the late nineties I believe. Uh, this is the early 90s. Uh, I was 1993. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I had a... Uh, actually had gone out with a friend who was working. I wasn't working that night. And then I drank too much. And I, I went to get my car to go back and get my friend. And I don't know. I must have just decided I was just going to go home because that's where I tried to go yeah. and and then I, I went the wrong way to enter onto the uh, expressway and had a head on collision and uh, and the uh, woman died in the other car, and um, were you badly injured? Or? Yeah, I uh, fractured my hip and my, my tibia and my arm, and uh, so I didn't really find out what happened. Totally, uh, actually, I heard it on the news while when I was in the hospital. What had happened to? Um, the other driver or actually I'm not sure if she was driving or whether her husband was driving but um, yeah that that was uh, not a a good time in my life yeah so I uh, I was able to stay home when I got out of the hospital until they arranged it so until my children got out of school, and then I would leave. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you were you gone for? I was at Muncie for uh, two years, and then the third year, I came to a halfway house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which was actually down down the street from my in-laws, uh, and not far from my my home. So. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's been maybe a decade or so. Uh, I remember Gil Scott Heron had uh, recently been released from prison, and somebody was asking him if he, uh, you know, got a lot of writing done there, and he was very serious and said, "It's not a great place to do writing." No, no. I, I, I think that you know people have this romance of the isolation and the time to reflect at everything, yeah. but it, it, it doesn't seem it's, that that's necessarily how it's geared. Well, I did do a lot of reflecting. Um, and I did do some writing there. Yeah. And I heard not a, not a music uh, program. I, often the, the men's prison have women have music programs, but you know, there was no music program where you're at. I have to tell you, um, I was, I mean, very upset. Well, I wasn't very upset while I was there. Necess- well, other than just being there, period. But the only programs they had really for women were... Uh, cosmetology that was the biggie and being a, a secretary you know office stuff so they had uh, very very gendered choices there yeah yeah they, uh, they had a caning and re- an upholstery p- 
program. And so I begged and pleaded to get into that. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. The caning and rushing the chairs and stuff like well, that. What's caning? Um, it's kind of like the weaves of on rocking chairs and different chairs. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that was, that was relaxing. Yeah. And, uh. So when I when I was home and then uh, I was going to visit a friend of mine who was at Greatersford, and it was kind of difficult for me to even make that visit because I didn't really want to go back into a prison. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> but um, but I went and he was he was he he was a chef and he was having this program. So when I went. And I saw all the, all the things that the men had. You know, they were graduating from Villanova. You know what I mean? They had all this stuff. And then, and then, even when we would go to to the prisons um, to perform, you know, just as musicians going in, you know, the guys said they had all this equipment. They had a radio station, the TV, you know, they just had it all. And, um, and, and the women's prison has nothing. They had uh, a room f- full of acoustic guitars that nobody touched. And since I play guitar, he said, well, can you just go down and string up all the guitars and put new strings on or whatever? I'm like, sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's heaven for me. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's but, like having uh, a loved one back in your arms, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. And so I just was so upset about that, you know. Yeah. Um, what do you think that is? I mean, I mean... <sighs> Well, I don't think they have a demand for it and their expectations are not that women would want to do these things. Yeah. You know? I mean, the guy that was running the um, Department of, uh, of uh, Activities, he, he actually had, like, a nice piano and, and little amps and stuff, but he would keep it locked up, and he was like, I don't want to get it messed up. Are you kidding? I mean, really? Come on, break it out of the closet. That's that's you know. <laughs> the instruments are for playing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's that kind of stuff that you had to deal with, and um, I mean, and it's the same out here in the world. You know that um, people don't think that women. Or they don't expect that women would want to do certain things, and so they don't—they don't offer it. They don't make it available. And uh, so, women like myself and other women that uh, strive to do these things, you, you know, we say, "Hey, we're here. We want to, you know, yeah. bring it." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's important for the the. the you know, girl students that you teach to to see a woman, you know, in this role, and uh, yeah, you know, to, to see a woman with a guitar, I guess, is still, you know, uh, not always expected. Right, 
Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I don't want to get on that soapbox too long. <laughs> You're welcome to get on any soapbox okay. you want. I was uh, surprised when reading uh, reading up for this interview that you talked about uh, one of your records that... Uh, well, uh, the moral of the story is don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Yeah, from the voice of wisdom here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Talking about one of your records uh, was inspired by uh, the, the the move situation in, in, in Philadelphia. I saw uh, uh, right the, yeah. natural occurrence and fire one. Yeah, yeah. Th- those stories have, have sort of cropped back up a bit since the uh, those documentary came out a few years ago that ran on PPS, let the I fire know. burn, and uh, yeah. you know it's funny. I, I lived in San Francisco, and uh, you know Mumia was discussed quite a bit in, in polite company, mm-hmm. and uh, it's much more of a charged uh, issue uh, uh, back here in Philadelphia to even bring up his name. It seems you know. I know it, it is, but um, yeah, you know a f- couple of uh, friends of ours uh, when I was when I was married, my husband and I. They used to have these conversations about the ideology of the the budding group at the time. It, it was John Africa and Yeah, uh, it was yeah. it wasn't like full fledged at the time, but yeah. they were it was a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it, and the biggest argument was that they wanted everything to be a natural occurrence, you know, and uh and, and you know, it made sense. But not not in the middle of the city, you know, not in the middle of West Philadelphia. <laughs> and so I, I wrote a song called "A Natural Occurrence," that, and that's why. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually, while I was at Muncie, I, I um, two of the ladies from Move were there, and and we were, you know, friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. So very interesting. <laughs> Is there anything you want to touch on uh, before we wrap up here? Or? No, if you're if you're uh, if you're out and about or, or plan to come to the the guitar summit yeah. at the World Cafe Live, that would be great <laughs> on May twelfth. Yeah. Tickets are available right now, so you can uh, call them or go online and, and and purchase your tickets. What's your group like uh, for this for the show? Well, uh, this group will have the amazing Diane Monroe on violin, friend of the show, yeah, for sure, She's a wonderful woman, absolutely. Uh, Doug Carn, the legendary Doug Carn on piano, uh, Lee Smith on bass. Who is amazing, and uh, Byron Wookie Landum on drums, and then the Shane Frederick will be singing uh, a couple pieces by uh, Doug Carn of Doug Carn's music. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, uh, Mana, thank you so much. I'm so glad to finally uh, get you to the microphone here. And uh, thank you so much for uh, the gift that you've shared with us all of your music. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's been a big pleasure. Appreciate it.
That's it for today's show. Thanks again to Monette for telling her story. You can find out more at MonetteSuddlerMusic.com. And again, if timely, check out her Guitar Summit show May 12th at the World Cafe. Check out my next film appreciation class at Fleischer Arts Memorial in Philly, the revolutionary cinema of 1968. It's all at Fleischer.org. Hear me spinning jazz and beyond on WPRB Princeton Mondays at 11 a.m. EST to 2 p.m. over the air and at WPRB.com, and I hope you will return soon for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.